ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Welcome into this Golf Channel podcast presented by Top Golf. I'm your host, Will Gray. Pleased to be joined on the phone today by Golf Channel analyst Brandel Chambly. Brandel, we are we've made it beyond Augusta National and the Masters. It seemed like for so long that it would take just to get to the 2018 Masters. It was one of the most hyped majors in recent memory. But here we are. Patrick Reed is wearing his green jacket through the drive-through at Chick-fil-A, and uh, he he is your Masters champion. So I guess. We, we need to start with him, and, and given a few days to process everything that we saw and heard at the Masters, what was the biggest surprise for you about how Patrick Reed was able to take down such a stellar field? Uh, what was the biggest surprise? I guess uh, his driving, you know. I, I've watched Patrick Reed. I've considered him as a major contender, you know, every, you know, year for three or four years. I've looked at him, and I've I've dismissed him because, you know, he either didn't drive it straight enough or not quite long enough or his irons weren't great enough. And, you know, I always thought, well, maybe the Masters might might be his best place because it allows him a little wiggle room off the tee and it allow him to scramble. But he had never broken 70 um, in, what, four previous attempts uh, at the Masters. So, you know, you kind of just put him on the back burner, so to speak. So, um I would put Tiger Woods' um, play at the Masters as the biggest surprise, and Patrick Reed's as the second biggest surprise. All right. Well, let's we'll, we'll circle back to the, the Masters champion in a, in a minute here, but I'm curious to know what about Tiger <clears throat> surprised you more than watching Patrick Reed hold off Spieth and Fowler to win his first major? Uh, just Tiger Woods' poor ball strike. You know, I, I thought that. He would figure out a way, and I guess he finally did on Sunday. Um, but I thought he would figure out a way to get it around off the tee. I didn't think he'd be great off of the tee by any stretch of imagination, but I, I thought he'd figure out a way to be, you know, decent off of the tee. And then I thought he would contend with his sharp iron play and his fast experience around there, and he would be just as sharp in all the other departments. But, you know, he made a mess of the par five. He he was 50th in um, driving accuracy out of 53 players. Now, I mean, Tiger says that he drove it great, but I mean, that's the way you got to talk to yourself as an athlete. I mean, you, you pretty much got to lie to yourself as an athlete. Um, the hard reality is he he hit some decent tee shots on some holes that had troubled him in the past, like number one for sure, and then he drove it nicely on on Sunday. But you know, these are four round events; they're not one round events. So. Right. Um, you know, he hit a lot of 
very poor drives on key holes and then laid himself up in some poor positions and then didn't hit his irons well. Um, he had been hitting his irons, not although nowhere near to the level he was hitting them in 2013. He was hitting his irons all but better than, you know, a handful of players. So that really surprised me because you're just not used to being, um, you know, Tiger was on this wonderful trend, 12th, second, fifth in his last three events. He's going to the Masters. And I, I said on Wednesday night, Rich Lerner asked me, would you be surprised if Tiger didn't contend? I did not think he would win. Not a chance that I think he would win. But I was very surprised, and I said as much, that I'd be very surprised if he didn't contend. So um, if he would have said, would you be very surprised if Patrick Reed won on Wednesday night? I'd go, no, not really. I mean, he's 24th in the world, and he comes in here on a high. But there were so many other stories that we didn't get around to Patrick Reed. I think a lot of people might look in the grand scheme of things at Tiger's week and think glass half full. He made the cut, first major since 2015, finished middle of the pack, had a promising round on Sunday. He was certainly off his game, and he said as much, but do you see this in the, in the grand scheme of, of Tiger in 2018 as a step forward or a step back? Um, I guess, no, I, I don't know that I recognize it as either a step forward or a step back. I mean, it's the easiest cut to make in major championships. So uh, making the cut is a huge achievement there. But um, I, would, I would say it's just a reminder that Tiger is, um, is on this odyssey to fix his golf swing, which in the past took him a year and a half, two years when he was a younger man. So he's working with a new teacher himself and whatever it is he's trying to do. Um, I, you know, what I think he's trying to do is get back to the golf swing that he used when he was younger, which is a move off the ball and staying taller. Uh, and he's not there yet, you know, and he's got a ways to go. Um, you know, he used to be a great driver of the golf ball. Um, and, and mind you, it was a short window because he was a great driver of the golf ball from 96 to 2002. And after that, not so great. Um, so for him to be able to drive the golf ball well is essential because this is an era unlike the era where he dominated. You have better drivers of the golf ball. You've got better putters. you got more all-around better players in this era than the era that he dominated in. So he's got to figure out a way to drive the ball better. We're still not sure when we're going to see Tiger next. Certainly expect him at the Players' Championship. A lot of speculation that he'll play at Quail Hollow in the Wells Fargo Championship the week before in early <clears> May. But looking forward, you know, now down the, the rest of the season, assuming he's going to stay healthy and play each of the next three majors, he talked about not driving the ball well, but also distance control with his irons. Do you feel like the driver is the key to his success and, and elevating from contending at some events to maybe winning an event at some point this year, does he need to turn the driver back into a weapon or does he really just need to start driving it decently to be able to contend? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. I mean, he was 127th in strokes gain off the tee in 2013. He won five times. But he didn't win a major. Um, so I think he can win golf tournaments driving it sort of, you know, meddling sort of way. But I don't think he's going to win major championships because the penalty is too stiff for a mistake there. And it seems like the best players peak. I mean, 
look how well Brooks Kepka drove the ball at the U.S. Open. Look at Dustin Johnson the year before. Um, I mean, John Rahm is going to win a major championship. He drives the eyes out of it, you know. Um, you know, you just got you've just got too many good drivers of the golf ball that are going to step up at majors and hit it 330 dead straight and down the left center when the pin's on the right, down the right center when the pin's on the left. And, you know, if you get up there and you're like Tiger, you drive it 330 and you drive it in the left rough when the pin's on the left. Um, well, you know, the guy who drove it 330 right center, you're both 330. There's only 40 yards between you, 30 yards between you, but one of you is completely hobbled. And the other one is, is you know, throwing dark. Um, so, you know, uh, he'll win the way he's playing. He'll figure it out and win. But to win majors, he's got to figure out a way to drive the ball better. And I've talked about it a million times, and there's nothing new here. For him to drive the ball better, he has to stay up in his back point. If I were teaching him, I would grab his hair, I would grab his head, I would put a a club under his chin as he's taking the club back and I would not let him drop his head in his backswing. And then I'd move it away as he was nearing the top of his backswing. Cause of course you've got to throw all that energy into the ground and transition, but you don't throw it into the ground in your backswing. You just don't do it. I don't know why he's doing it. I don't know why he can't stop it, but for whatever reason, he just continues to, to, to slam into the ground on his backswing. And when you slam into the ground on your backswing and you slam further into the ground on your downswing, you've got nowhere to go, man. You've got to jump up, make room to get the club in there. And, you know, your rotation stops. And you, all of a sudden, you've got to flip it. And you flip it, you're going to have a two-way miss, which is what he's got. So, you know, he's, he's, he's teaching himself. He's got to be able to – he's got to stop that, to drive the ball better, period. I want to switch gears back to Patrick Reed for a second because I will admit it took me until Thursday afternoon to remember that he finished second at the PGA Championship. And it is right. It's amazing right. to me that the, the, the quick learning curve. You mentioned he hadn't broken 70 at Augusta. He goes out, he's, he's in the 60s each of the first three rounds. He hadn't had a top 10 in a major before Quail Hollow last year. He finishes second and boom, turns around a few months later and wins his first major, beating back a host of contenders. Is this, does this have to do with, with Patrick Reed's supreme confidence, which we've known for years has existed as a big reason why he's propelled his way onto an elite level in the PGA Tour? Or is this more just with the new crop of 22 to 28-year-olds who come out and don't need that much of a learning curve to be able to turn contending into winning on a big stage? Well, what, what Patrick Reed just did is, is historically the typical maturation process of a star like he came out early he showed uh, a great ability to do things that defy common sense you know in his career builders when in 2014 he shot 63 63 63 no one in the history of golf have ever done that i remember i was on the call that week i remember watching it and each day i became more and more in awe of his ability to go out and just in your face to everybody asking him about how hard it is to follow up a great round with another one. So he did that, right? And then he didn't just go away. He kept winning. He kept telling us how good he was. He kept standing up to the biggest 
pressure week that players face every two years, which is the Ryder Cup, and looking like a god there. But still, we kind of ignored him because he wasn't polished. Uh, he wasn't winning majors. Um, and there were, the, you know, the lights just shined on Jordan Spieth, and they shine on Dustin Johnson, shine on Tiger and Phil. And there were just too many other great stories for us to really pay attention to Patrick Reed. What he did is the typical maturation process. Come out, show that you are you don't really need an apprenticeship, show that you've got all the skills in the world, and then three, four years down the road, when your belief falls in line with your talent, um, you start winning. I mean, that's, that's what happened to Tom Watson. It's what happened to Ben Crenshaw. It's what happened to Lanny Watkins. What happened to Curtis Strange? What happened to Tom Kite? You know, it's just that we've been spoiled lately with kids, you know, kids, young men who come out and don't really need that maturation process. But those are the exception, not the rule. When I'm talking about Tiger, obviously, I'm talking about Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, and John Rahm. Even Phil Mickelson needed a maturation process. I say that with some apprehension because he did win as an amateur, but. He didn't win a major until he was, you know, in his early 30s. All right, so I moving down the list here, I think that, you know, down the leaderboard, you had Ricky Fowler, you had Jordan Spieth, but for me, the most fascinating story outside of Reed on Sunday at Augusta was Rory. And what, what to do with this quest for his white whale, as Shane Ryan put it, <clears> and trying to get this final leg of the career Grand Slam. He's had two really good opportunities to nail it down thus far. He certainly has enough talent to win a Masters. And at age 29, he's got plenty of time. But you and I both know Tom Weisskopf had enough talent to win a Masters. So did Greg Norman. So did Ernie Els. So did Lee Westwood. The list is long of guys who seem guaranteed for a green jacket and still don't have an invite to the champion's dinner each Tuesday. So what's your take on, on Rory, his week specifically, and then that, that final round meltdown where he beat only four players as it pertains to his future with Augusta? Well, if you look at the five players who've won the career grand slam, obviously we hardly count Gene Saracen because Gene no more thought he was trying to win the career grand slam than, than, than I can play in the NBA, you know? I mean, um, it just grandfathered we grandfathered him in. You know, he won the Augusta National Invitation. Um, but then you look at Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan was perfectly suited to Augusta National, right? He could work the ball both directions, but primarily he had a fade, which is what you need to be able to hit into the greens at Augusta National, all right? <clears throat> then came Gary Player, who won the Masters early enough. But Gary Player... Um, is, is a force unlike anything we've ever seen in golf. You know, there's a, there's an energy and a belief and a, a golf acumen unlike anything we've ever seen in golf. I mean, just absolutely extraordinary exuberance. It, it's still bubbling over at 80 years. You know, he's, he, he's literally like the volcano that continues to erupt in Hawaii. You know, it just never stops erupting. You know, mm -hmm. we've never seen anything like him. But he was not going to be denied. Um, Jack Nicklaus played high fade. Tiger Woods could play high fade. Um, the one thing that, that Rory is being held back by at Augusta National is the inadvertent, out-of-nowhere miss to the left and the inability to, with ease, hit 
high faith. You know, I, I've talked about this, his, uh, his golf swing and transition. His golf swing is gorgeous. There's no question about it. But it's not debt-free. Um, there's some debt in there. There's some demons in his golf swing. Um, at the top, you know, he, he's, he, his whole, you know, his arms and the club all drop under. And, and they continue to be under the plane all the way into the downswing. Um, so, it, you know, yeah, it's nice to be able to hit draws on two um, and on 13 and on 14. But meanwhile, you need to be able to hit fades off most of the other tee shots. You need to be able to hit fades into the green. You need to be able to hit fades off of the hook wide. Um, you need to be able to hit swing upright and come over the top of it, even on downhill line. It still helps you. Um, still helps you elevate the shot. So these things are holding back. And when you do that, you have a tendency to either hit hook or hit it off the toe like you did on number one tee. Um, so, you know, he's, he's got to, the same way Jack tried to figure out how to hit draws off the tee, right? He, you know, he says he got lucky by getting bursitis in his left hip in 1963, and that led him to winning the Masters. But he won five more after that. So Jack figured out how to hit draws. Well, Rory needs to figure out how to hit high fade. And and he's got to come to grips to that. Um, and and I think, you know, I think he knows um, that he's he's got some holes in his game as it relates to Augusta National. And that puts a ridiculous amount of pressure on him. He was the only player in the top 16 on the, on the leaderboard on Sunday that shot over par. The only player. Now, that'll tell you about who had the most pressure on him. I knew, and I think everybody had a sense after watching him hit his tee shot at one, uh, missed the putt at two, missed the green with a wedge at three. And when Patrick made the putt at three, it was over. Everybody... Everybody, I thought it's over. Everybody else has got too much mountain to climb. Rory is not in the state that he needs to be in to push this thing to the end. And Patrick Reed with the putt on three, one, he, you know, it was a little bit lucky, but two, it said, this guy's got what he needs. And it's over. I mean, it was really one of the fastest masters where it felt like it was over that I can ever recall. It certainly was. Uh... It, you're looking back at the final round, I think, on YouTube a year from now, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all pieces together. But you're right. I think, first of all, I think that putt on three might still be rolling for Patrick Reed if it doesn't hit the hole. But, <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, it was it was an amazing swing where you go from 15 minutes of Rory's got a four-footer to tie for the lead and erase the entire deficit to he's back to right where he started off the tee. But, uh, you know, I think going back to, to Saturday night, we were all kind of blown away by the bravado that he showed in his comments after Rory did after the the third round where he basically called out Patrick and said the pressure's on him and I'm just going out to spoil the party. In hindsight, it seems like he might have been trying to convince himself of that, certainly with the Masters and as it pertains to Rory, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of, you know, the six inches between your ears situation going on where, where he's facing some demons. And I wonder how much of this has to do with the construct of the calendar. Jordan Spieth is going to face Grand Slam questions as it relates to the PGA Championship for about a minute and a half before we get to Bell Reeve, whereas Rory faces them in the fall. He faces them in the spring. How do you shape your schedule? What are you working on? Month after month after month, he is answering questions 
about how he's going to try and win at Augusta National. Yeah, and you know, I, I think if you ask most professionals where they would like to win, it was it is Augusta National. I think that's probably the overwhelming favorite of of all the majors. You know, they'd most like to win. So it, it you know, there's lots of things that play there. It was the one that it looked like he was going to win first, and now it's the one that he needs last, and it's probably the one that he most wants to win. And it looks like, you know, it's it's always looked like the most talented people should be given the Masters, right? They're just, just he's the most talented. He won. Jack, Tiger. But it's left some people in the wake, you know. Ernie always looked like the most talented. Weisskopf always looked like the most talented. Greg Norman looked like the most talented. Um, you know, and they they didn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't get it done, you know. Um, Harry Cooper back in the 30s was the most talented. You know, I, I still think he has the record for most PGA wins without ever winning a major. He never got it done. I mean, every decade there is a superstar player that doesn't get a green jacket. Um, and, you know, while we say, oh, he's going to get one, if you go back and look at all the previous Masters, they put them on YouTube since 68. You know, I went back and watched most of them. And these, you know, Tom Weisskopf got interviewed. And he's like, well, I'm going to get it. You know, I'll get it. You know, and Tom Kite, I'll get it. And, you know, everybody thinks they're going to get it because they're unbelievably talented. But the fact is, you really only got, you know, you've got a very small window. You know, I mean, very few players, I mean, you know, are going to have more than 10 years to get one. And Rory is, you know, Rory is, yeah, there's players that have over 35 that won it. But typically your window is 25 to 35. And then, you know, they get much, much harder to win because now you're competing against much younger competition with better nerves without any um, competitive scars. And it just gets a whole lot harder to win. So, yeah, I mean, Rory was always going to have more pressure on him because he looks like the most preternaturally talented individual that's played the game since Tiger. Let's switch gears from, from one player whose Augusta demons may be building to, to another player who exercised any that may have been remaining in Jordan Spieth. That final round 64 would have probably been a 63 were it not for a pesky tree branch off the 18th tee. How impressed mm -hmm. were you by, by the charge that he made? And then follow up to that, how surprised are you that he never looked at a leaderboard? I still can't believe that he says, I never looked at a leaderboard the entire day till the 18th hole. I just kind of gauged how the crowd was reacting. I knew something was, was going on. But, but a remarkable round that, that ultimately fell just short of a second green jacket. Yeah, I guess the strategy of never looking at a leaderboard, I guess if you're as far back as he was, nine shots, I mean, it doesn't matter how many birdies you make, you're going to be behind. So it's like put your head down and, you know, run like hell as long as you can, um, which is what he did. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of not looking at the leaderboard when you're in the mix because, you know, one, you learn a lot about yourself and about other people, um, and that experience will pay off down the road, how you handle situations, you know. You, you want to be situationally impervious. You want to be strong. And if you can't look at the leaderboard without – um, without being distracted um, or put off your game, then you've got issues you've got to deal with right. um, um, to be an all-around great champion. So intellectually, I want to look at the leaderboard and, and learn from it. But beyond that, um, 
the shot that Jordan Spieth hit into the fifth green was one of the prettiest iron shots uh, of the week, I thought. Um, we saw the difficulty in it. Uh, we saw Ricky Fowler come through there and, you know, knock it, you know, way over the green. We saw everybody else come up way short. You know, it's such a dangerous hole location to risk going back there. But Jordan Spieth, you know, floated what looked like a six iron, maybe mid iron back there to a foot or two feet. And, you know, that's, he, you know, he showed the week before at Houston that he was spot on with his iron play. I think it's the most strokes gain he's ever had with his iron play in an event. And that's saying something for him. So his, his level of play with his iron was extraordinary. But again, that wasn't surprising. We know his ability to work the ball in any direction with his irons. And again, that's the benefit of an upright golf swing in a good spot at the top with, you know, great transition. I mean, that's, that's why an upright golf swing beats a flat golf swing every single time um, or almost every single time. And, but we also know that because of his weak grip, he's always going to struggle a little bit with his driver. I mean, you've got a really, really weak grip unless you do some crazy things like Ben Hogan did, which was cup it and supinate. But for the most part, weak grips are Corey Pavin, Jose Maria Alfabo, who wasn't a great driver of the golf ball, but he was such a stud with his irons and putter that he won two masters. Um, Johnny Miller wasn't a great driver of the golf ball. Um, when you've got a weak grip, you are not going to be a great driver of the golf ball. You're just basically not, not unless, you know, some other things happen. So, what did he do? He drove it poorly on 18, and we know that he struggles with putts from 7 to 10 feet. It's really not the shortest ones because if you miss one or two of those, you're going to be awful in the rankings. But one or two doesn't kill you. But when you miss, you know, 30 eight-footers um, over the course of a year, it's, it, yeah, 30, 40 eight-footers or seven-footers or nine-footers. When you miss 100 of those, yeah, it hurts. And what did he do? He drove it poorly off the 18th tee, and he missed a what a seven or eight footer. Um, I would have, I, you know, look just just for drama's sake. We wished he would have hit a beautiful cut off the tee and a great iron in there and made birdie. Um, I would have loved to have seen. I mean, can you imagine Patrick Reed, and Jordan Spieth in a playoff? I mean, would it would have, it would have, it would have darn near lived up to the hype. As it is, I mean, the golf tournament was really good, but it didn't live up to the hype. But if, if a couple of things would have happened, but it didn't ever look like Patrick Reed was going to make a bogey or make a mistake. Like, never did I think, even when it was tied, you know, when he, when Jordan or when Patrick Reed was playing the 14th and Spieth was playing teeing off on 18, I think it was tied. But Spieth bogeyed and Reed birdied. But even when it was tied, I thought, wow, there's, Patrick Reed has got this, you know? He is just not going to make mistakes. He chips too good. He putts too good. He's he's too dead gum bold. He's he had this beautiful whirly bird finish that allowed him to hit these cut shots, which is which is it's tremendous. When's the last time we saw somebody try to change their golf swing for the the necessities of a golf course or what was demanded? You know, he typically hits draws, but he doesn't get stuck under the plane the way Rory does. Draws. But we still saw Patrick Reed completely change his golf swing we to to overcome the, the sort of the weaknesses in his game as it relates to the golf course. We've never we haven't seen anybody do that. I'm trying to remember the last time we saw somebody do that. I mean, Nick Faldo talked about doing that. 
Um, but we haven't seen anybody do that. And I thought, wow, what a wonderfully creative strategy. Um, and there it was, you know, this guy, nobody was out there. No teacher was telling him, you know, you got to swing this way or that way. He's like, no, I'm going to come up with my own way of hitting these touch shots. And he did it. So this, it was, that part was unbelievably cool in this era of sort of uh, homogenous looking moves. I'm sure we're going to be walking around the tournament practice area next year at Augusta, and everyone's practicing their helicopter finish for for the first <laughs> and 18th hole. Uh, yeah. It was a, the last time I saw that was when the you know the uh, the homage to Arnold Palmer at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. There you go. Yeah, and that was when, that was when everybody was doing it. With Patrick yeah. Reed took it all the way to the Masters. <laughs> well, as you said, a, a Spieth Reed playoff might have broken the internet, but we were very close to a Reed Fowler playoff as well. We're about 25 minutes in. I guess it's time to start talking about the tournament runner-up who really didn't have a lot of momentum versus some of the other top-ranked guys coming into the week. But there he stood on the 18th hole, and having played for several years, I think what he did on 18 on Sunday is among the more impressive holes I've seen Ricky Fowler play, to birdie that hole, knowing that he needed a birdie to have any chance of catching Patrick Reed. This is his third runner-up in a major, but it certainly feels a lot different than Pinehurst. It even feels a little different than Valhalla as it projects to Ricky someday, perhaps soon, getting major number one. Yeah, I mean, obviously at Pinehurst, he was, you know, never really in contention, never in contention of winning the tournament. Seven, eight back um, or along those lines. And at Valhalla, he wasn't in the final group and there was Phil and Rory and yeah, I mean, he was in contention, certainly. But well, he got in the final group for about five minutes there at the end in the dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good point. Um, but this was, I think, the first time any of us have ever really seen Ricky Fowler in a major moment in contention when he could control the outcome, when he could impact the, um, the effect um, on the groups behind him. And he did it, you know. He absolutely did it. He he had a beautiful cut, uh, found the fairway in one of the great iron shots. Uh, uh, it was hard to find statistics that week, but but he did lead the field in proximity to the hole with his iron play at Augusta National. And it was a great iron that he hit into 18, and his putting stroke is back. You know, he's kind of struggling at the beginning of the year. So whatever little nuance that was troubling him, he worked out, and he had a beautiful putt on it. But this was the Ricky Fowler that uh, I, think, I think of all the things that came about because of this Masters, um, Ricky Fowler believing that he can win a major championship, absolutely believing he can win a major championship, not thinking it, not hoping it, not wishing it, believing that he could win a major championship was probably the biggest thing that came about because of this Masters. Um, this was a Ricky we really haven't seen. Now, Ricky still tends to play his best golf when he's chasing when he's in the next to last group or, you know, two groups from the, from the end, he hasn't really played his best golf in the final group. And, and that is, that is absolutely between the ears. There's nothing else stopping him from playing his best golf other than belief um, and determination and defiance. And, um, you know, just, you know, he's a very agreeable person by nature and the people that, tend to play the best golf in the final rounds, in the final groups, are disagreeable people. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to be placated. And 
you know, that, that adage, nice guys finish last, um, you know, there's, a, there's always, you know, there's a reason adages um, become axioms, you know. It's, it's like there's a little bit of truth to that. You have to be somewhat disagreeable. You know, you think about Tiger Woods. Who was better with the lead than Tiger Woods? Well, okay. Um, Johnny Miller. Who was better with the lead than Johnny Miller? I mean, these people are kind of historically sort of in your face, tell you how it is kind of people. Tom Watson. Jack Nicholas, you know, they called Jack Nicholas Karnak. You know, I mean, Tom Watson is, is a very sharp guy, but don't don't upset him, you know. It's like you you've gotta get a little bit of you know, look at Ben Crenshaw. He's the nicest guy in the world. He's got an 0 and eight record playoff. It's like, you know, <laughs> Ricky Fowler's the nicest guy in the world. Um, but you've gotta get and there is no other way. I mean, there you just gotta get a little meaner and a little bit more arrogant. And, you know, we, we view arrogance with such disdain in our, in our society. And it's like, why? You know, why? I mean, if you don't believe in yourself, who the hell will? Um, you know, and, I mean, arrogance in sport is a good thing. You know, it serves you well. It may not make you the best dinner companion. It may not make you the very greatest corporate pushman. Um, but it serves you well. And, you know, I hope that his finish at the Masters will make him at least innerly, more arrogant. Well, we will end now uh, with one person who I'm sure is not short on confidence, and that is uh, Phil Mickelson. I don't know that I've seen Phil look more sad than he did on the second hole on Saturday. <laughs> he's just whiffed. He's just made a triple. He's soaking wet in his rain suit, knowing that he has to play 35 more holes of pretty much meaningless golf at one of his favorite places. He turns 48 the week of the U.S. Open. He was quick on Sunday to project forward, looking at both Shinnecock and Pebble Beach, which will host the U.S. Open next year. But is there any sense that, that Phil might not get as many good shots to win major number six as he had this week, given his strong play entering the spring? No, I mean, I think Phil's got the best shot at um, being the oldest major champion of all time of pretty much anybody in the last, 30, 40 years, you know, he's got almost uh, on par with Gary Player, a level of enthusiasm that just bubbles over, you know, it's just, that's a rare personality. That is, you know, that is, he is just never not lit up and it's great to watch. I thought Phil had one of the best weeks in the media center in the history of media centers at the Masters. So even though he didn't win, he entertained the hell out of everybody in the media center and he certainly entertained me. Um, I, I love watching the guy in the media center. I love watching him play, but, and he'll win more tournaments. He'll contend in more majors, but it's all going to be more difficult for him. I mean, he's 47. The next time he plays a major, he'll be 48 or be turning 48. Um, and sports really, really cruel to middle-aged men. Um, you know, his club head speed has, even though he's fighting it like crazy, right? He got, he's got it right around 115. Um, I guess at times when he's practicing, he can get it up to 120. But what he takes to the course is 115. But beyond that, he's missing more fairways than he's ever missed in his life. So that's a that's a pretty terrible combination. You know, he's less than 50% of the fairways. He's changed his golf swing. The one thing I've always loved about Phil was it didn't matter if he was working with Dean Reinmuth or Rick Smith or Butch Harmon. It didn't matter who he was working with. He really never changed his golf swing, at least not to any noticeable degree.
but he has changed his golf swing. He's got this he's setting the club, the outside, trying to set the shaft more upright. Um, in the backswing, I guess he's trying to achieve with accuracy what he's losing with distance. But he's losing accuracy. He's not gaining accuracy. Um, so, you know, he's got to hit 60% of the fairways swinging at 115 miles an hour, and he's hitting 48% of the fairways, 47% of the fairways. And he was dead last in accuracy off the tee of the Masters. So, again, I mean, he'll have a hard time at the Masters because he's, he drives it so poorly now. He just drives it, by his standards, short and crooked. Um, so he's going to have a hard time. But, you know, there's, there's other majors that will pop up where, you know, it'll be a better fit or he'll sort of catch lightning in a bottle or, you know. But Phil's not done by a long shot, no question about it. He's not done. Um, but, you know, the sun's setting for sure. Um, and the sun sets pretty fast, but, but he's not done. And he's a long way done from entertaining. Um, he was absolutely brilliant. The media center this week. Absolutely brilliant. I love, I love watching. Have you put in your order yet for the Phil Mickelson button down shirt that he fashioned on Tuesday in the practice <laughs> room? That was so While supplies funny. last. While supplies last. I mean, last. his, his exchange with, Tiger Woods and Karen Krauss in the media center. I mean, if you're lucky enough to know Karen Krauss, who's a terrific writer, I'm a big fan, huge fan. I read her stuff religiously. Um, but she dresses very flamboyant, you know, very colorful. And it's so funny. The people at home wouldn't, because the camera couldn't pick right. up Karen, but Karen was the one asking him about, you know, you're not afraid to stand out or you like standing out, don't you? And Phil was like, well, Kind of like you do, Karen. And, I mean, because I know Karen so well, I mean, I just about fell out of my chair. And, and I could hear Karen laughing pretty loudly in the background. And I just thought, Phil, it's funny. I was driving up to the Masters on whatever, a week before my wife Bailey was in the car. And I asked her, I said, who's your favorite player in the game of golf today? And she was like, Phil. She was like, the guy never disappoints you. She was like, you know, he gives you everything he's got on the course. He loses um, – dramatically, he wins dramatically, and he's a riot in the media center. It's like, yeah, good point. And he was. He was absolute riot in the media center. He's a very bright guy. He really is. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's funny as hell. I love listening to him. We will have to see what uh, fashion choices he has in store for us at the 2019 <laughs> Masters. Maybe he'll wear a full yeah. tux to the Champions League yeah. or something like that. I, I, I'm going to try to qualify for the Senior Open <laughs> uh, at St. Andrews. I will not be wearing the button oh, down. You're missing out. Up. I, uh, I, I, I likely not to have. I don't think my wife would allow that. Uh, I true. think, I think, I think Bailey would put the kibosh on that, given her fashion sense. Yes, we could, we could see the Bailey veto if, if Bones got one <laughs> oh, veto a, a year. There, that could be the, the Bailey veto. <laughs> It would be a strong Bailey veto there. <laughs> well, uh, Brandel Chambly, thank you much for joining us on this Masters Recap edition of the Golf Channel podcast presented by Top Golf. Always appreciate your insight. Look forward to hearing from you down the road. Nice talking to you, Will, as always. All right, I'm your host, Will Gray. Thanks again for listening. Remember, you can get this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, golfchannel.com slash podcast. Wherever you do your podcasting, we are there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.